Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Today on Focus on the Family, we'll hear about the heartbreak of walking away from your spouse. My marriage was just too hard. Uh, life was too hard. It wasn't worth it. I needed, I needed to start over. I needed something new. Uh, I took the steps to pursue something new. I, I found a new relationship. I left Jill and my kids and. Um, I'm sorry. No. Wow. I left Jill and my kids believing that that new relationship was going to be the cure-all. But the problem was I took somebody with me, and that was me. Well, Mark Savage uh, describing a very dark, confusing period of his life as a Christian husband and father and We're going to hear more of his remarkable story, how God stepped in to rescue their marriage. And uh, stay tuned. Uh, This is a great program for you, although we are going to be talking about some things pretty candidly. So if you have young kids uh, within earshot, you might uh, go to earbuds or have them move out of the room. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, infidelity is a tragic, heartbreaking issue. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And the ramifications are so much more devastating than the culture realizes. Sure, there may be the initial rush of excitement and indulgence for that unfaithful spouse, but it's short-lived. We all know that. And as Mark indicated in that tender comment, the ultimate consequence is nothing but pain and sorrow. Sadly, most marriages don't survive an affair Mm -hmm. uh, because it's awfully hard to maintain a relationship of love and trust once that is broken. And uh, today we're going to say there is hope. There's good news. Research shows us that couples who are willing to work through betrayal and pain with uh, godly forgiveness and hope can eventually rebuild that relationship. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, their marriage becomes even stronger than it was before because they're now so transparent. They're naked in the garden once again. Uh, It's not an easy process, but we here at Focus on the Family want to encourage you. If you're in that spot or you know somebody who is, this is going to be a powerful program. And certainly uh, as we go along here, if we're touching a nerve, get in touch with us. We have caring Christian counselors who can talk things through with you. And our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Now, Mark and Jill Savage have served in church ministry for about 20 years. Uh, They meet the needs of families through Uh, They're speaking and writing, and uh, they have five grown children and eight grandkids. And uh, today our conversation centers around a small but very powerful book that Jill has written called Your Next Steps, What to Do When Your Spouse is Unfaithful. And we do have copies of that here at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Mark and Jill, welcome back to Focus. Yes. Thank you. So good to have you here again. Um, This is a difficult subject, but for the radio listeners, podcasters Mm -hmm. can see this, but you have smiles on your faces. I mean, (laughs) you have gotten through this, you know, painful moment. 
I'm mostly concerned about those that are just stepping into this or they have mm. suspicions and it may be around the corner mm. for the listener, for the YouTube right. watch or whatever it might be. So that's the person I have in mind right now. And it's difficult. This is a difficult yeah. topic. It rips many marriages apart, like I said in the beginning. So I want to say thank mm-hmm. you for your willingness to come yeah. and share it. Um, you know, it's hard to always share maybe your greatest sin ever, right? Mm. But it's for God's testimony that you do it. Yeah, I know absolutely. that. Absolutely. And the purpose of healing people, not hurting people. Right. And for the listeners, I know if you're suspicious or you're, you know, your spouse has just told you something's up, it feels crushing, but I'm telling you, I guarantee this is going to be helpful to you today. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the reveal when it was found out that, uh, Mark, you were having an affair. What was that day like? What happened? Mm. So the first discovery was when it was this relationship was just an emotional connection, and I discovered it on his phone. Um, he had uh, we were out to dinner and he had gone to the bathroom and left his phone on the table and this person had actually texted him and I was like what is this mm-hmm. and so we talked about it at that moment I mean we talked about the guardrails in our relationship and we have an agreement that I don't mm-hmm. text with a man without looping him in and you know and he kind of um, said yes I minimized it yeah mm-hmm. it's no big deal you know this is uh, she's going through a hard time and I was just having a conversation. So we talked about the fact that he needed to loop me in from that point on, which you did for maybe two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then it went underground. And then about four months later, I came home from a speaking engagement. And Mark had fallen asleep with the phone in his hand in bed. And I thought, oh, you know, bless his heart, he was so tired. And I picked it up and saw what was on the screen and saw that they had actually been together the weekend before. And I knew that this wasn't just an emotional affair. It had become a physical what, affair. What, what were your emotions like? Oh. What, I mean, I think we can all envision that, but I'd love for you to articulate that. I mean, it's betrayal and those things, but yeah. what, I mean, what? I mean, honestly, the, my very first emotion, I wanted to throw up, like yeah. uh, physically. I yeah. became physically ill and I... I was, my mind was swirling. Like, what do I even do with this? I don't even know what to do with this. And um, I had a friend that knew that Mark was not in a good place. She knew that he hadn't been in a good place for a long time. And she had said to me on several different occasions, my phone is on 24 hours a day. And I was like, well, Beck, thank you so much, but I'm not going to call you at the middle of the night. And she was like, I know, I'm just telling you, my phone's on 24 hours wow. a day. What a and I'm going to tell you what, it was 1.30 in the morning when I had picked oh. that up out of his hand because I'd been speaking in Chicago, and that's about a two-hour drive home. So I'd driven home late, and um, I called my friend Beck, and I was so grateful. We cried on the phone. We prayed on the phone. She stayed on the phone with me most of the night. And all of this happening while Mark is in bed sleeping. sleeping. Yeah. Well, no, and that's a really important point because a lot of things could have gone sideways right there, right? The Mm -hmm. fact that you pulled back, called a friend. Hmm. I think that's incredibly admirable I mean, honestly, if you want to know the truth, I wanted to slap him, but... (laughs) Well, I'm, I mean, I'm sure, I wanted to wake worse, him up right? and pull right. him out of bed. Yeah. And, you he know. is asleep. You could do a lot of damage. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, seriously, I yeah. mean, that's an amazing first step that you made, which says a lot about who you are. Well, rather I'm... than going, you know, to the kitchen for an implement, 
I mean, <laughs> right. seriously. I mean, right. you know, the, there's a lot of strange ways that people respond in this. And yes. Mark, let me bring it back to you for a minute because there was this seesaw effect that occurred over the next few weeks or months. I'm not, I'm months, not sure. Yeah. Where you were, you know, telling Jill, yeah, they, we're done, it's off, and then it would rekindle. Mm-hmm. Describe that. And even in that confusion, what was going on? Well, uh, so the Christ Center part of me wanted to uh, restore, get things figured out between Jill and I, but the flesh part of me just had, I was without hope. I, we had wrestled for so many years with our differences, with trying to figure each of us out that I was worn out with all of that, and uh in my absolute discouragement, I would run home and say, I'm staying with you. I'm ending that. Let's figure this out. But then in my hopelessness, I'd run back to the relationship. And mm-hmm. I did that eight times. Seven or eight times. Yeah. And, uh, and then finally, I ended up uh, finding an apartment and moving out. Right. Jill, I do want to ask you, because I know women right now, some may even be screaming as they're hearing this because they've gone through something and they're going, Jill, you should have just left him. Mm-hmm. And I, I think really I want to speak to the Christian community because mm-hmm. there is a difference. I mean, people that don't believe in Christ, they're not bound by those, you know, God-given boundaries, those mm-hmm. God-given decrees to try to repair their marriage. I would hope that they would because of the benefits that come from that. But for the Christian community particularly, Jill, mm-hmm. is... Even a Christian woman is saying, Jill, what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. Let him go. You may have even gotten some of that advice. Oh, I certainly did. I and mean, Speak to those two halves of the brain, you know, what mm-hmm. your logic side is telling you and then what the spirit is telling you. Yeah. I mean, definitely um, I had people t- say that. Um, I had that thought in, you know, multiple times. Like, at what point? Because uh, this wasn't the first issue that we had dealt with. There had been other things. Um, There had been a background of pornography and there had been other pieces. And at at some point, you know, you kind of go, I'm tired. Okay. I I just want to be done with this. Well, I guess the point there is the church as well as the culture will legitimize that and say, you had every right. And you know, the Bible does say you have every right to get out of this. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but I did, I did not feel released from it. I didn't feel released from it. And I would ask God what to do. I begged God to tell me what to do. In fact, it was probably a day, maybe two days after I discovered the physical affair that I can remember I was on my living room floor. I was home alone, just bawling my eyes out, begging God to tell me what to do. And I heard one thing, Hmm. one thing. I heard him say, I want you to love him. And I got off of the floor and I looked at heaven and I shook my fist at heaven. And I said, I don't know if you've noticed lately, but he's not real lovable right now. And I heard God whisper back to my heart. And sometimes you aren't either. Wow. And that was a moment that I was like, all right, Lord, you love me when I'm unlovable. I don't know how to do that. You know, it's a beautiful, tender moment. It had, I have tears in my eyes because it's powerful but it is exactly the spiritual illustration that God uses throughout the scripture mm-hmm. to define his relationship with the church, right? Oh, yeah. You, you, yes. You're a harlot. You come and go. You aren't committed to me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, wow, there's nothing that we experience in this life closer, I think, to the heart of God 
than our love for one another in marriage and mm-hmm. then the betrayal of that. Oh, yeah. And that's what God feels with his people. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's so powerful and it stings so much. But for him to put that in your heart, it was wow. Neither and that, are that you. really became, I mean, I learned how to love someone who wasn't loving me back. And that was a huge mm-hmm. lesson. And where would you say that turning point Maybe it was that, but that turning point back towards saving your marriage, where did it start and what did it feel like? Yeah, I would say it was there. Um, I was committed to doing whatever needed to be done. And at that point, I really began to look at myself even deeper because one of the things I realized is I didn't cause Mark to be unfaithful, but I contributed to the dysfunction in our marriage. Mm. And I needed to figure that piece out. That's really hard for women to embrace. It's hard for any of us to embrace. Well, but I think particularly a woman that is faithful, but maybe there's something broken in the relationship or not as healthy as it could be. It may be physical intimacy. I don't know what it could be, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to look at your own heart for that speck. Mm-hmm. But I, it is, it is. But I knew whether my marriage made it or not, I needed to know what I had brought dysfunctionally mm. to the relationship. Right. I mean, I really had that in my mind. Like, I can't control him. I can only change what I bring to the yeah. table. And so that began the journey for me. And I had to look at my critical spirit. I had a critical spirit. And it was robbing Mark of... Um, feeling connected to me, I had to look at the fact that I, I was very much a thinker. So we're opposite in the way most marriages are. Um, most marriages, the men are the thinker, the women are the feeler. Right. Okay. In our marriage, we're like in the other twenty eighty. I'm the thinker, he's the feeler, and so I had to realize that my emotional strength, I would, and I say strength carefully, um, was actually sending an unintentional message to my husband that I did not need him. Or that he's inadequate spiritually. Yeah. If I could say it that way. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And no, I, and I appreciate that. Mark, I do want to ask that same question of you. When did you think that tipping point? I mean, you're full of confusion at that point. I'm sorry mm-hmm. to say, brother. <laughs> but I mean, really, eight times yeah. back and forth. Um, oh, yeah. I don't even know how you're finding your gyroscope in that. You know, where's your spiritual center? But obviously you're here, and that's the mm-hmm. celebration and the gutsiness yeah. of being here. Yeah. Something got you headed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. What was that thing, and what was that day about? Well, uh, I think it was a series of leadings by the Lord. Uh, one, I wanted to uh, meet with Jill on a consistent basis, not to restore our marriage. I was very clear about that. And you're yep. in an apartment at this point. You're not living together. You're right. separated. We're separated. I want... Uh, so I let Jill know, hey, we have five kids. I want to... Uh, I want to do lunch every week. And, and he said, but I'm not willing to restore our marriage. Hmm. This is not to restore our marriage. It's because we have five children together. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. 
It's like a solid 5 out of 10. <laughs> Having a marriage that's just okay isn't what couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. Every marriage has areas that are working well and areas that could use improvement. Based on the research and experience of Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, the Focus on Marriage Assessment will help you and your spouse discover and evaluate 12 essential traits and help you build a relationship that thrives. It's free and only takes about 10 minutes to complete. If you want to identify your strengths and find tools to help you grow, this assessment is for you. Go to FocusOnTheFamily.com assessment to get started. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Mark, I'm coming back to you because I really want to know that turning point. And Jill, I appreciate the commentary on that from your heart. But what, again, what was your compass? When did you say to yourself, maybe even before Jill, okay, this isn't about just the kids. It's about the potential of us Mm -hmm. getting back together. Because as Jill just described, you're not there. Right. And you're right. laying out the parameters. Let's right. get together for lunch. This isn't about us the reconciling. Yeah, it sounded yeah, like a business meeting. meeting. That's yeah. a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had convinced myself of the thought that my kids would be okay. They would understand. And they didn't understand. And that continued to uh, gnaw at me. I came from a divorced family. Hmm. And here I was headed down the same path. That continued to gnaw at me. But I carried this list of of issues that I held against Jill, and I just could not get past the list. This relationship, as I'm uh, in this mess, this relationship that I was in was demanding more of me, more decisions. Uh, and all of a sudden, I'm in the same cesspool with this other relationship that I had with Jill. And I I think my prayer leading up to Easter 2012 was, Lord, I do not know how to love Jill. I have loved her based upon what I would get out of it. What the heck do I do? And then it was Easter morning. I was such a mess, I didn't even realize it was Easter. We had been helping our daughter. Who had just had a, one of our, our second grandchild. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up uh, home late that night. Uh, it was like 2 a.m. And Jill asked if I wanted to stay the night because it was so late. And uh, so I did. And then I think that next morning, Jill probably thought that I had completely lost it. I was totally schizophrenic. I woke her up and I said... Jilly, I just want you to know I'm going to file for divorce this week. The list is too great, and I just don't have the energy. I don't want to do what I need to do hmm. uh, to rebuild this marriage. And then Jill said, or she reminded me. I said, you know, it's it's Easter, Mark, and uh, Jesus Christ didn't want to go to the cross either. He asked God to take it from him. You know, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, take this from me. And then he said, but not my will, but yours be done. And that's all I said. Right. And in a weird way, I've been praying uh, or thinking, I really want Easter to be different this year. 
I wanted it to be different than candy and rabbits, which we never celebrated Easter that way. But all of a sudden, I had the realization that it was Easter, and I was desperate. I I had made a complete mess. I was overwhelmed with all of it, but I was a desperate man. And I heard uh, Father God whisper to me that if I would trust him with the list, he would take care of the rest. Yeah. And it was in that moment that I actually went from, Jill, I want a divorce, to, oh my gosh, you're right, it's Easter. And I modified Jesus' prayer, not take this marriage from me, but Lord, I'll do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Your will be done, not mine. And I had a total pivot in my direction. All of a sudden, I had clarity. Yeah. And you know, Mark, what's really revealing there, and I think this is so true, and I mentioned it a moment ago, Jill, with your heart. You know, women tend to look at, okay, what did I do wrong? And men do what you did. Hey, the list is too long. You have blown it. It's Mm -hmm. our ego, I think, just that male ego. Hey, this problem is you. Yeah. And you know, until we get that list figured out, I'm out of here. Right. I mean, and Guys, you're hearing it right from Mark. That's exactly the opposite of what God wants us to look at ourselves. Mm -hmm. That log, I said speck Mm -hmm. earlier, but Mm -hmm. that log in ourselves, our own eye, Mm -hmm. to look at our own list. Mm -hmm. And did you feel that that finger in a good way coming back at you? Listen, there may be that list, but that's tomorrow's news, buddy. Right. Today's news is your list. I, uh, I found myself so overwhelmed with all of it that what I felt was God, like a dad, a tender dad, reaching Mm -hmm. down to his toddler son who had fallen into this mud pit and helping him out. Wow. And um, I needed it. Uh, I didn't have, I had two men in my life who were my dad and they were unhealthy. I didn't have a good view of God. And all of a sudden, the real daddy God was reaching down and saying, Mark, I'm going to help you out of this mess. And in my desperation, I said, please, I'm with you. Mark, I think this may be the question for the men listening. Yeah. How do you recognize that? How do you know the father's talking to you? How, Hmm. I mean, because you're in a mess. Right. Maybe that guy listening is in that mess and he doesn't know up from down. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know right from wrong. Mm-hmm. And to be able to open your heart up and say, Dad, mm-hmm. I need to hear from you. Right. I mean, how do you get there if you're stuck and you're not hearing clearly? Mm-hmm. I know it's a really tough question. Well, my first thought is when you're in such a mess and you have a healthy thought, it's probably not from you. Right. It's probably wow. the Lord. And in that moment of desperation because I was so bound by the list, I just knew it was the Lord saying, Mark, give me the list, trust me with the list, and I'll take care of the rest. Yeah. And he did. By the end of the day, uh, well, for one, I hadn't attended church for a while. Uh, I looked to Jill and after I voiced that prayer, and I said, can I go to church with you? And, and yeah, it, it was uh, pretty, I was like, yeah. 
And I had watched. That was an obvious change in his. Well, I watched yeah. the change. That's great. In front of my eyes. Wow. I mean, sometimes people will say, how could you begin to rebuild trust again? But when you've actually seen someone throw up the white flag of surrender yeah. and actually do it in front of you, which I was so grateful I got to witness that. Now, I didn't trust. I didn't trust him. And remember, this is the guy that's gone back and forth seven times at this point in time. So, but at the same time, I'd never seen what just happened. But what's interesting, what you're describing is you had hope. Hope was being rekindled. Maybe not trust, but you had hope. That's critical. Yes. That's like the first step to getting there. And uh, wow, you guys, this has been so good. I uh, This has got to go another day if you're willing to stay <laughs> oh, with us. Sure. Because I, I do want to come back, and you've done such a beautiful job laying out your circumstances. And of course, not everybody's circumstances are the same. We get that. But um, I want to come back next time and kind of broaden this to the general audience to talk about the blame ratio, the mismatched emotions, what you write about in the booklet, Jill, obsessiveness, triggers, lifetime recovery. Let's come back and extend those ideas, those thoughts of hope. Let's not go for trust yet. Let's just get people hopeful and checking their own heart. Can we do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd love be, to. Absolutely. That'd be so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to reiterate to the listeners, to the viewers, that um, if you're in that spot or you're suspecting that your spouse may be um, unfaithful, call us. It's free. We have donors that have made it possible for us to have caring Christian counselors. That's why we're here. Yes, we're going to do this in a Christian, loving way. That's all we know. We are Christ followers. So we're not going to give you worldly responses. We're going to give you biblical responses Mm -hmm. to what God expects of you. And if you're willing to follow God in that way, we're willing to give you the truth. And uh, we really do want to hear from you today. Our number is 800, the letter A, and the word family. Online, you'll find us at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And when people get in touch, Jim, we can tell them about Hope Restored, which is a terrific program in which we offer marriage counseling over several days. And we've seen transformations and miracles take place through that program. So when you get in touch, ask us more about Hope Restored. John, let me amplify that for a moment. This is an incredible program. Most of the people that attend our Hope Restored Intensive Program, they've already signed divorce papers or they're about to sign them. And they're saying, okay, we agreed this will be the last thing that we try. Mm -hmm. And we go back to these couples two years later and praise God, 80% of those couples are together and doing better. I, I think it's one of the best things in the country to repair the damage in your marriage. So give it a try. Yeah. And in fact, Jim, I know a couple that went uh, to Hope Restored and she said, if I don't hear from God this week, I'm gone. Right. She heard from God and it's been months and they're together and uh, they have hope again. So our number again, uh, if you want to hear more about Hope Restored or uh, if we can send Jill's booklet to you, your next steps, what to do when your spouse is unfaithful, 800, the letter A and the word family. And we're listener-supported, as Jim mentioned. Uh, Donors uh, make it possible for us to provide these counseling services to you. If you're not part of the support team today, please consider a generous gift, uh, uh, either a monthly pledge or a one-time gift. Either way, we'll say thank you by sending this booklet to you. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. Plan to be with us tomorrow. 
as we continue the conversation with Mark and Jill, and once again, help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Well, imagine finding out that your spouse has been unfaithful. You just discovered uh, he or she is cheating on you. Here's Jill Savage recalling just such a moment. I was on my living room floor. I was home alone, just bawling my eyes out, begging God to tell me what to do. And I heard one thing, Hmm. one thing. I heard him say, I want you to love him. Hmm. Well, you can hear the pain and anger and uncertainty, and uh, we have hope for you today because Jill uh, did grab onto God and walk faithfully with him, and uh, she and her husband, Mark, are here today with us on Focus on the Family. Um, I'm John Fuller, your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. A word of caution for our parents in the audience, if you have young kids, um, they really probably shouldn't be listening to this program. We'll be touching on some really tender topics. Uh, John, all I can say for those who are joining us today and didn't hear the program last time, get it, because that really sets the emotional credibility for what we're going to talk about today. And Mark and Jill were so open about and transparent about their circumstances back then. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth going back, get the smartphone app if you haven't already done that, and you can listen to the program from last time. Um, or you can go to the website and download it that way. But it really it was powerful. And in fact, we just didn't cover the content we wanted to cover. So I've asked Mark and Jill to rejoin us for mm-hmm. today so we can talk about the help and the hope for your marriage, especially if you're going through something or suspecting that your spouse uh, may not be honest with you right now and may be in a relationship with someone else. It's far more common than we want to admit. And uh, again, we want to give you the hope that is found in Christ. Mm-hmm. And Jill has uh, captured a lot of the lessons that uh, she and Mark have learned in a little booklet called Your Next Steps, What to Do When Your Spouse is Unfaithful. Uh, we have copies of that here at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800-A-FAMILY. Jill and Mark, welcome back to mm-hmm. Focus. Thank yes, you. Yes, thank you. Uh, it's so good to have you back, and I mean that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, thank you for extending our time together on the broadcast. Uh, As I mentioned, we spoke last time about that brokenness, what was going on in your relationship. Uh, Mark, for those just joining today, you're in and out of this affair seven, eight times Mm -hmm. over the period of just over six months, trying to figure out what to do. You separated, you were living in an apartment, you had five children. And Jill, you're just hanging on by a thread, I can Mm -hmm. imagine. And you expressed some of that last time. You began to develop hope, not trust, but you had Mm -hmm. hope that God could heal your marriage. And it took Mark a little longer to get there. And Jill, we can expand on this a little bit. Again, I'm so proud of women. And again, this is a generalization. I know it's not everybody. Women have this incredible capacity to look at themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a man... You know, it gives me tears because you're so quick to say, what have I done? Where have I fallen short? What's my problem? And Mark, you typified the man. Mm -hmm. Hey, I got a list on you and it's really your fault Mm -hmm. that I'm in this mess. I mean, we're like little boys. You made me eat it. Mm. Right. You're the one that told me to do it. (laughs) Right. 
And I mean, it just, it's who we're, we're made up that way. Goes and back to Adam. It does. This, this woman you gave me. <laughs> right. She's the problem, <laughs> God. And so, and I'm glad we can laugh about it now, but I know people listening are maybe in that pitch of pain. Yes. Right. And you guys can laugh today, but you had to go through a valley, a pit. So Jill, let me come your way again. Let's frame that a little bit. What are these barriers? Uh, One obviously is the blame game. Speak to it. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that was so very helpful, and I do write about it in Your Next Steps, is I I was able to look at Mark through eyes of compassion. And that kept me there was plenty of blame at times. Don't hear me wrong on that. But when I was able to see that he was acting out of his own hurt and his own confusion, that really helped me to resist blaming more than where I already was just naturally going. Um, Because I realized he was he was personally struggling. You know, this was an identity challenge. This was him feeling lost from leaving ministry for 20 years. And so that was really helpful for me was to see him through eyes of compassion. And that kept the blame at least um, at a lower level. Okay, I get Mm -hmm. that. And that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Some women are saying you're crazy. I mean, right. seriously, because we're operating out of our flesh, I would say, in that moment. Mm-hmm. And they're justifying their own unchristlike responses, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard. Oh, I know we're going to get lots of is. people and, tearing this up. I mean, here. I will tell you, um, I can remember one particular night after Mark left, the toilet overflowed on the second floor of our home, and the water came down onto the main level and down into the basement. Um, I did a lot of blaming that night. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I you was didn't do that angry. on purpose, did you, Mark? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he was right. gone. Okay. I he thought had you left. said a trap there and then left <laughs> right. the house. But, yeah, yeah, he had left, and, and I was home with you know two teenage boys, and I don't know how to fix you know plumbing, and I was really angry, and there was a lot of blame that went on that night. Mm-hmm. So without a doubt, you know, there was a, a fair share of um, me throwing blame his way, him throwing blame my way. Well, let me Um, ask Mark to jump in on that. I mm -hmm, mean, your perspective on the blame game. Well, uh, my reality was I was led by my flesh. And what was powerful from Jill is I saw a, it was not an easy transformation for her, but it was an intentional decision on her part to love me well and to love me in a way that she had never done so and that was spirit led and that that kind of leads to the mismatched emotions i think and and let me set it up this way uh once the affair is confessed uh, the guilty spouse begins to feel better you know you've got it off your chest so to speak it's out in the open Mm -hmm. that part of the hard road is done and you're feeling lighter if I could mm-hmm. say it that way. But the victim, the spouse that's you know been betrayed, they're just starting into that mess of how do I figure this out and what do I do and where do I go? Mm-hmm. Did you experience that dynamic in your oh relationship? The messy part? Like he, oh. you were feeling better and you're feeling like, I don't know what I should do with you at this moment. Well, My arrogance and confidence rose off the charts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Which was, I'd never really seen that side of you. Mm-hmm. Because I think the other dynamic that happened was you were passive, 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 passive. 
until you said, I'm done and I'm out of here. And then I saw this side mm. where there was no more passivity and I didn't even know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, which we see that in a lot of the couples that we coach and that we encourage and that we help, you know, in what we do now. Let me, because I, I understand that. Describe that though, Mark. What, why do men behave that way? We, we cocoon, we hide emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we just let everything kind of go. Okay, that's fine. And then the monster comes out, the confident right. monster. Right. I think uh, it does. I think that goes back to Genesis, that we, when a man doesn't know what to do, he does nothing, and that's not a good decision on his part. And so we coward and we hide and we think that we need to be silent. And it's really important that a man find his voice yeah. and not wait until that blow up. It's a dynamic I've seen in couples where there is a strong woman. Jill, yes. you are a strong woman. Yes. Um, does that make it harder for a guy to express his voice? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> right. You get it's tired. kind of a rhetorical question, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was is that, that because, was one of is the... that because you would you would try and she would shoot you down or, or shut you off? Absolutely. I would try to voice my thoughts or my opinions, and then finally you go, ah, forget it. And so that was a place where I had to focus on my own growth. Mm -hmm. I realized I had misused my strength. And I needed to learn how to leverage it in a way that honored my husband, in a way that um, didn't minimize his voice. And remember when we talked yesterday about that we went to lunches together? Right. Well, I was beginning to change the way that I was using my voice at those lunches. How so? I mean, practically. Um, he would make a statement, and instead of squashing that statement and telling him what I would think, I would ask a question and ha- ask further. <laughs> and so I was drawing him out. I was using reflective listening. So what I hear you saying is this. Did you know to do that? Was that formulaic, or was it coming naturally? Um, I, was a- I had actually uh, read a book that was... Um, uh, very powerful for me. It was called The God-Empowered Wife. And it was a book for strong women and how strong women can... The funny thing is the subtitle, I think, is How Strong Women Can Help Their Husbands Become Godly Leaders, which is really... me. I it, like it's like it's up that. to her to help you. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. But yeah. it was Thanks. written... It life. was written to draw that strong woman in and want to read the book, right? right? And she addresses that in the She intro. totally does. Yeah. So I'm reading it, and I'm applying it, and uh-huh. I'm going, I'm starting to use my strength in a, a different way. And so week after week, I'm making changes, which at first he goes, eh, you're manipulating me. But I'm we'll really, see. I'm yeah. realizing, mm-hmm. no, I have to change this. Again, yeah. whether our marriage makes it or not, I have to change this. I have misused my strength. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. I was convinced that nothing could change what was going on in our marriage, and I didn't want to try anymore. But my commitment to God helped me try one more time. We went to a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, and it was life-changing. The counselors created the safest environment we could imagine, so that let us really talk. We're on a much different course now, and I believe we received a miracle that week. Receive your free consultation at HopeRestored.com. 
When a woman discovers her husband's struggle with pornography, she needs a practical plan. The latest book from Focus on the Family, Aftershock, by professional counselor Joanne Condi, will help you through the seven steps of self-care, and you'll learn how to deal with the emotions involved in the discovery of your husband's addiction. Let Joanne Condi's timeless wisdom give you hope even while you're in your own season of Aftershock. Learn more about Aftershock at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash store. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Mark, yesterday you mentioned kind of your mentality at the moment was, let's just get over, let's get this done with, let's keep Mm -hmm. moving, let's get Mm -hmm. the divorce, let's figure out what we're going to do with the kids. Now it's almost like typical male problem solving. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to figure out who gets the kids when. But something pulled you back from that. I'd say it was the Lord. Right. But explain why couples who have gone through this and are willing at least to have hope. Maybe, again, we know trust Mm -hmm. is broken. But for that guilty spouse to commit to a long-term recovery and not just go into problem-solving mode and to relieve the pain by going through a divorce. You know, so often the data shows that when a divorce occurs, especially I see this data in light of men, you know, they then remarry and the very same problems crop up again because you're not dealing with the core issues. It's you. It wasn't your your first spouse. Mm -hmm. And now you got the same problems in your second marriage or your third marriage. Right. And those typically don't go well either. So speak to that long-term commitment. That's really the question. That transition mm-hmm. that you made from, let's just end this, end the pain. I've got this other thing going. It's far better mm-hmm. right now. Right, <laughs> but, right. But you pulled back, and I give you you know, kudos for that. Mm-hmm. You did pull back and say, I'm going to commit to a long-term process. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if I could say it eyeball to, eyeball to you, Jill deserves a lot of credit in this whole thing. Oh, absolutely. Because she was faithful. She was faithful. And then she stayed faithful to you. Mm -hmm. So man to man, I mean, that's part of it. But Mm -hmm. you deserve credit for pulling back. Mm -hmm. And a lot of men wouldn't do that. No, they keep going. Uh, For me, the process of a long-term commitment was more one foot in front of the other commitment. One day at a time. One day at a time. And uh, my first huge decision was surrender. I had made such a mess. And as a man, we're fixers. And I realized there was not one thing I could do to fix this, which was a beautiful moment for me because it was the moment that God became so real that the only hope I had, which was abundant, was that God would fix this. Huh. That was his promise to me. That And then the picture I had, in fact, on my phone, I have a picture of, of a road with a yellow line down the middle that I would take the hand of God, my dad, and walk on that yellow line. Dad, where are we going? What do you want me to do? And Uh, Part of my commitment to my family and to Jill was I met with every person who I knew I had hurt. I asked forgiveness, and I worked to make it right with my family. Uh, Being in ministry, uh, hundreds of people, I spent the whole next year just really working to clean up the mess that I had made as God led me into that situation. Mm. That was... That's powerful. Yeah, it It, was important. It really is. Yeah, and one thing I would add, 
you know, um, back to your question a little bit ago about um, the affair is now out in the open. It's off his chest, but the other spouse is now like reeling. Yeah, you're just beginning to process. Totally. And I think that is something that's not understood in affair recovery uh, all the time. And that is that he knew what was going on for, in essence, it was a year uh, total because so much of it started even before the physical affair. I didn't. And so what happens is now you have to go back and you have to relive and you have to reframe it. So I'll give you a a specific example. The summer that he started the emotional affair was my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, and they wanted to gather the entire family at a beautiful place up in the Wisconsin Dells. So we're all there, and we're all, you know, enjoying this time. And he excuses himself every once in a while, and I think that he is taking care of his construction business back home. But I later learn he's having conversations with this person. And I learned that nine months later. Mm, Right. Now I have to go back and I have to go, wait, wait a minute. And I have to recognize, you mean this is what was happening. So that happens over and over again Mm. when you're recovering from infidelity. And to Mark's credit, uh, he stayed steady through that. Yeah. Because that is a lot to have to wade through. Well, this again. is your turn. It is. If I it, could say it that yes. way, it feels dark, but it's your turn to start. Yes. Your and emotional I, response. And, and I had to be steady and stable and not reactive. Le, it, yes. it does lead to the next question I had, which are the questions that the offended spouse needs answers to. Right. How do you determine? where to go with that because that can be a bottomless pit it can be a arming up of the offended spouse so they can you know mm-hmm. wail back at the one who had the affair and you know again we're always balancing our fleshly response from our spiritual response mm-hmm. we're at war within ourselves but how did you guys manage the questions mm-hmm. uh, you're touching on that Jill but yeah when was enough enough well and I think I get asked that question a lot um, I think it depends on your personal wiring um, yeah. one of the things I talked about in the last program is that I'm a thinker uh, that means I deal in facts. Right. I deal in data. Um, I can gather data and not get as emotional about it. If there's a woman who is a feeler, she's got to be careful about how much she asks. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's going to really, that can There's wisdom her. in that. That's, I guess, the key point. You've mm-hmm. got to be wise enough to know you, Which, need, you need some reconciliation on data. Yes. You need mm-hmm. some reconciliation, but there may come a point where you need to feel, I know enough. I don't need to know more. I and get... I actually would say to myself, do I really need to know this question? Right. Mm-hmm. Like I would think about it. And sometimes you ask questions from slightly different angles too. You have to understand that. And that's where I think some couples go wrong in rebuilding trust is the offending spouse will go, ah, when are you going to stop asking me? You've already asked me that question. Well, you're right. on trial constantly. That's so let's it, figure this out. Are we going to stay in court or are we going to move along? I mean, that sounds horrible. I mean, you right. were the offender. Right. Um, but well, you, and my, I think as a surrendered man, you don't 
my commitment as a surrendered man was to answer every question and to stay steady and to learn to love Jill through my answers and responses Mm -hmm. and not to get angry. Yeah. I mean, you guys are both growing in this. That's what's so amazing spiritually. And isn't that the awesome gift of God that you're going to leave this earth so much better off than where you used to be in your relationship with Christ, in your relationship with each other. That's the beauty of this portrait. It's not Mm -hmm. the offense. That's ugly. That's horrible. But God picks up the pieces and creates a, a masterpiece mm. uh-huh. in your marriage. I mean, that yeah. Yeah. it's awesome. He Mark, does. Y- you speak to this idea of the gift of accountability. So let's mm-hmm. move through that. You guys, you know, you're in a better place. What is the gift of accountability now? Well, I think an unhealthy view of accountability is that someone is there to police another person's life. And that's incredibly unhealthy. The gift of accountability is that I would stay, I would push information to Jill about where I was going, what I was doing, not out of defensiveness, but out of love. Huh, that is big. That's huge. It was totally a brain changer for me. I had to make trips back to our home where both of our families lived and where this uh, person that I had the affair with lived. And uh, I would first ask Jill, to go with me, like if I had to help my mom on the house, would you go with me? And if she couldn't go, then I always had in my back pocket somebody who would go with me. And Carl, he was my go-to guy, and Just he was a good all, friend. Good mm-hmm. friend, wow, and good for him. I did, I did that so that for my family security, uh, but also for myself that I didn't want to have to answer questions about where I was. I wanted to create a safety for my family and for me. I but, never had to ask him to do right, that. Right, and, and another good sign of change. Yeah. And that's good. Jill, speak to that. Uh, it was huge um, because I didn't. he opened his phone up. He said, here's my phone. You have access to it And anytime. that was different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, because it was locked down after, especially after I found the yeah. the first Computers text. were locked down. Everything, everything was locked down. And he gave me a master key to his life and said, I have no more secrets. That was very trust building. Yes. Now, it takes time because to rebuild trust, it's changed behavior over time. And so... It was a consistent opening, and that made all Mm -hmm. the difference in the world. Jill, you know, we've got only a few minutes left, and I want to come back to both of you on some really important aspects of this, and that is forgiveness. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've touched on it, but we really got to hear from you particularly, Jill, obviously, the Mm -hmm. depth of that forgiveness. How do you find it? Where did you go? And is it deep and real? Or are you trying to just live, you know— what you're supposed to do. Here's what I learned, Jim, about forgiveness. And I think it is something that is not as widely understood as it needs to be. Forgiveness isn't once and done. I didn't just forgive the affair and then we moved on. I had to forgive dozens, hundreds of things. I'll give you an example. I drove by a hotel that I learned that they had met at. Okay, I drive by that hotel and I am grieved. It's a dagger. Yeah, and I'm grieved. I'm grieved at the deception. 
Mm-hmm. I'm grieved at the betrayal. And that day, as I drive by there, I have to go, Lord, I need to deal with this in my heart. And I have to forgive the deception and the betrayal as it relates to that hotel. But the next day, I drive by the hotel again. And that day, I am grieved at the financial mess that this made in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so I have to forgive the financial mess. And so I think a lot of times we think that it's just this one-time thing. It is you have to forgive layers and layers Mm -hmm. and layers and layers. So when those things raise up, you got to deal with them in your heart then and there. And sometimes I would communicate that forgiveness to Mark, and sometimes that was just between me and God. Yeah. Sure, of course. You know. uh, Mark, let me ask you to pray for those couples yeah. right here at the yeah. end. Uh, give that word to the Lord to use this mm-hmm. program, to use the story God has given you and Jill mm, to absolutely. touch lives. Father, I pray right now, on my heart is the couple that uh, aren't even together and maybe they're hearing this program and they're weeping and angry and confused. Father, uh, reach into their mess and the hand of a loving father and just help lead them out of that mess. And Lord, pour out hope. Use this program to breathe life redemption, uh, direction. God, you, your grace, your love is abundant. Mm-hmm. Your mercy is endless. Lord, pour it out today. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Mark and Jill, again, thank you mm-hmm. for laying it out there. Yeah. I mean, this is hard to do. Mm-hmm. And you're moving down the road, and the Lord's giving you this message now. you got to keep coming back to the biggest trauma you've ever experienced <laughs> and talking about it. So, mm-hmm. But thank you for doing it. Thank yeah. you for helping others see mm-hmm. the better way to go. And Jill, thanks for capturing it in this little book, uh, Your Next Steps. Mm-hmm. If you need a copy, get a hold of us. We'll get it to you. If you can help support the ministry so we can touch more lives, uh, do that. But we don't want you know a gift to be in the way. Just mm-hmm. get a hold of us so we can get this booklet into your hands to help save your marriage. If you're at the end of your rope uh, and you can say from your heart that you do believe God can work a miracle in your marriage, give us a call. Mm-hmm. There's a place that we can begin to restore it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And last time uh, we mentioned Hope Restored, where we provide intensive counseling over several days to hurting couples and Uh, Maybe there's been infidelity or so much conflict you just can't handle it anymore. Or maybe you've just drifted apart. Learn how Hope Restored can transform your relationship and uh, get in touch. When you do, we'll also tell you about Jill's book, Next Steps, What to Do When Your Spouse is Unfaithful. Our number here, 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459 or visit focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.